All right. Uh, we are in Advent, uh, looking at the, the theme of preparation uh, this morning. So I mentioned last week that Advent comes, uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so the focus of Advent has two main components. We observe Jesus' initial coming to earth as a baby in the form of celebration. So he has come. The Savior of the world is here. He is our living hope. God is with us. So on one hand, we look at this as celebratory. But on the other hand, uh, we observe Advent in the sense of waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting with ex expectancy. We, we know that upon Jesus' return, he will defeat our enemies of sin and evil and death. When he comes back, he will set things right. He will save in every sense of the word. But our waiting today, as Michael alluded to in his prayer, is filled with groaning. There are many circumstances in this world that break our hearts. And so this truth is apparent to us, the fact that this world is not as it should be. This world is not as it should be. And, and we should feel this deeply in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of law, uh, job loss, in the, in the midst of scraping by financially, in the midst of sickness and cancer, in stresses, in unseen sacrifices, in marital struggles, in injustice. God has woven into the fabric of our existence here on this earth a thread of hope. Jesus will return. He will make things right. And the intended impulse for us is that of yearning, yearning for that day when Jesus will come back, when he will set things right, a yearning for us to leave this pervasive brokenness, a pulling of our gaze to the horizon, to something better, a longing for all that's broken to be put back together by Jesus. Personally, I find a real danger here. Uh, I want things to be made right. And I've never met a person who doesn't want things to be made right. I think deep down, every person knows, however they're going to explain it, every person knows that things are broken, badly broken. But the danger for us then is found in what is meant by having things made right. What do we mean when we say we desire for things to be made right, because we have been conditioned since the day we were born to pursue personal comfort and pleasure. And so our idea of things being made right is oftentimes boiled down to our personal preferences being met. We want to get the job that we think will satisfy us or that we think will pay us the salary that we deserve. We want our children to not get sick and to be successful in their endeavors. We want to go on vacation and to have all of the experiences. We want to not be stressed and to look successful at others or to others. We, we want others to look at us in this way that we are successful and we have our stuff together. So what we find is that our yearning for things to be made right oftentimes has very little to do with Jesus. The danger then for us is that we conflate Jesus' promise 
to make things right with our selfish desires. And we assume that our preferences are what Jesus desires for us. So this then is why the emphasis on preparation is so vital for us. We are called to be ready for Jesus' arrival. We are called to be waiting for his coming. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 25 and, and a parable that Jesus shares there. So let me read these verses for us, uh, and then we will talk through these. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This part of uh, Matthew's gospel is part of a, a larger section that's focused on Jesus' second coming, when he will return. Now, if you tend to read these verses and, and you find yourself fearful, I, I want to encourage you as you think about these verses, that you would see the grace that Jesus extends by including verses like these in the Bible. His desire is to prepare us, to equip us in our waiting, to help us, to love us in this way, not to instill fear in us. Okay, it says in verse 1 then, the kingdom of heaven will be like... Okay, and then Jesus gives a physical picture to help us understand some of the aspects regarding his arrival. And I think in many ways, this, uh, this story is straightforward for us. It's clear in what Jesus is seeking to communicate here. But let me just give a brief summary. So there are 10 women, okay? It says that they're virgins. We, we can think of them as kind of bridesmaids uh, preparing for a wedding. And they are preparing themselves to meet the bridegroom. Half of these women are waiting in a wise way, and the other half are waiting in a foolish manner. The foolish women act in a way that ultimately results in their exclusion from heaven, their exclusion from being with and near Jesus. So this is a story that is teaching the reader about the importance of waiting in a manner that is wise and prudent. So thinking on Advent, which is waiting on Jesus, this story has some really helpful teaching points for us today. Now, one word of caution for us as we think about 
these verses. Jesus is not providing a full teaching in these 13 verses. We have a whole rest of the Bible that's going to complement and supplement what we read in these verses. So Jesus is making certain points of emphasis for us here. Okay, so we got to focus on what's important, what he's trying to communicate. So we got to be careful here not to draw conclusions that Jesus doesn't want us to draw from these verses, like when the, the wise virgins are not giving oil to the foolish virgin, virgins. We don't run with that and say it's every person for themselves, that we just take care of our, our own and that's it, that, that we're not going to be generous to other people. That, that's not what Jesus is trying to communicate in these verses. We'll come back and, and talk about um, that tricky piece in, in a little bit. So I want to start in verse 5 here then, and it says here that, the bridegroom was delayed. So if you go back into Jewish culture, Jewish weddings were lengthy, okay? They knew how to celebrate, how to throw a party. So this would be like a week-long ordeal for them. At various times throughout the week then, it's not surprising that the bridegroom would, would be delayed for various reasons. So as we think about this then, try and take this parable that Jesus is speaking and try to uh, apply this to what we deal with today, I, I think as we think about this from our human perspective, this may resonate with us. As we are 2,000 years out from Jesus' initial coming, and we may wonder if expressions of Jesus returning soon, soon after he left to go be with his Father in heaven, if that was incorrect, because we can wonder where is Jesus, has he forgotten about us? Is he coming back at all to save us? Second Peter uh, chapter 3 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief." So our idea of time is different than God's idea of time. God's desire is that all will be saved, okay? And so he gives this amount of time, this allotted amount of time for people to turn to him and to trust in him. And it says here, when we're given the grand scope of everything that's going on, when we're able to see all of eternity, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Now, some of us might think that we might feel that he is slow to fulfill his promise. There's also many other days when we would we we don't want Jesus to come back. I think that our hopes are fixated on things other than Jesus. We want to be able to walk our daughter down the aisle. We we want to be able to experience certain things. And that's a reality that we deal with. And I, I think in those days we don't want Jesus to come back um, quickly. But when Jesus does come back, it will feel sudden for anybody who experiences it, but especially for those who are unprepared. So, so everyone's going to fall into one or two buckets. Either they're prepared for Jesus' return or they're unprepared, okay? Despite all of the promises given about Jesus' arrival, people still weren't able to see him for who he was. 
And the reality is, when Jesus does come back, when he invades into this world to save and to judge, then it will be a sudden arrival for people. That's how they will feel. Now, I want you to, I want to notice, I want for us to notice this detail regarding the women here, okay? So when we have 10 women here, just initially, when we think about prepared or unprepared, initially we, we wouldn't distinguish between them, okay? These 10 women look the same, okay? We don't understand the wise and the foolish until we see how they're acting, okay? But initially, they look similar. They're preparing to meet the bridegroom, and in this, they are all looking similar. But what we find in the story is that they weren't similar, okay? And as church-going people, this should grab our attention. We might look at others today, whether they're part of Center Church or they're outside of Center Church, and we might think of people, man, those are, those are good Christian people. They've got their stuff together. But this is one of the reasons that I continue to insist on depth of relationship. Okay, we, we can't just look at the surface level. There is so much more for us to know about people. Loving others means that we know them well enough, that we know their struggles, and, and that we're doing everything that we can to ensure that people are resting in the finished work of Jesus in every way, that, that people are awaiting Jesus' arrival, that that's what we're longing for, that's what we're living for day in and day out. And so the delay, the slowness that some of us might feel in Jesus' coming, his second coming, it actually is helpful in that it reveals for us what we are trusting in. And so in this way, we have time to evaluate, to see what is it that we are trusting in, in this meantime, in this delay of time. Okay, now some people misread this story and, and they take sleep to be a bad thing. Um, and so they will try to minimize the amount of sleep that they get, and they'll wear that as a badge of honor. Others just become downright fearful about sleep. But notice in these verses what it says here. It says, they all became drowsy and slept. So all of the women fell, of, fell asleep here. So physical sleep is not the issue here. So just speaking really practically, sleep is a gift from God. Okay, sleep is a gift from God. It's helpful in many ways for our well-being. We should get an adequate amount of sleep each night. Okay, so then we need to wrestle with what is the issue here? Because the issue does relate to sleepiness, okay? The answer for us is found in a form of sleepiness. The real issue pertains to the sleepiness of the foolish women in their preparations, Okay, so Jesus says, they took no oil with them. Okay, so think about these women. All right, they, they are going to the wedding of somebody else, and they're not prepared for it. So think of the selfishness that's being displayed here by these women. This would be like the attendees of a wedding trying to take center stage, to, to push 
off the stage, the bride and the groom. When we are part of a wedding, whether it's attending a wedding, it's, it's being part of it, standing in the bridal party or whatever, the intention is never for us to navel gaze, to make it about ourselves, to focus on us. But that is what these foolish virgins were doing. They were elevating their preferences, their desires over that of the bridegroom. They were not doing everything they could think of to love the bridegroom, to serve the bridegroom in that moment. They were loving themselves. And when the bridegroom came, this self-love was exposed. These women were seen for what they really were. These foolish women could then only plead for the help of others. And this then leads us into this tricky section of these verses. Why didn't the wise women help the foolish women? I mean, aren't we all called to be generous? How is this? How is their attitude reflective of the kingdom of heaven? What Jesus is teaching here is that salvation is not something you can borrow from others. Salvation is not something we can borrow from others. We must all possess this ourselves. We can't lean on others for our salvation. So I, I just want to speak to any kids that are part of this gathering right now, okay? So kids, you must trust in Jesus yourself, okay? You are called as an individual to believe the gospel yourself. We don't go to heaven because our parents are Christians. When I was a young kid, I assumed I would go to heaven because my dad was a pastor, okay? That, that was not the case at all. This is something each and every one of us needs to put our trust in Jesus. So children, I want you to hear a really clear call to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, okay? Parents, also, you need to be talking to your kids about this explicitly. Call them to the gospel regularly, day after day. Don't assume that they'll just pick this up. And don't just assume that they'll get this from a youth leader or from a Sunday school class. You are their primary pastor in the sense of them hearing the gospel, okay, in your home. And, and I hope, parents, that you have urgency with this conver conversation. Now, there's a really delicate balance of not wanting to try and scare our kids into heaven, because that's not possible, okay? But also, we must understand another difficult teaching of this story. And what we learn from this story is there will come a time when it's too late, there will come a time when people run out of an opportunity to respond to Jesus. So the foolish virgins came back after buying more oil, and they were shut out. Jesus tells them, I do not know you. I do not know you. On that day, when Jesus comes back, there may be many people who will want to say to Jesus, Lord, Lord. But when they 
make this address. This is primarily going to be an address of convenience for people who have not responded to Jesus. They may, in that moment, come to realize what they have blatantly ignored their whole life. Jesus is better. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Jesus is the true king over everyone and everything. So for any of us who may have this insidious idea that we will clean ourselves up spiritually when we need to, that that we will put our spiritual house in order eventually, what Jesus is teaching us here is don't wait. Don't wait for tomorrow, today. Prepare yourselves. Do not wait. Do not hesitate because the day may come when that is no longer an option for us. And so parents continuously, regularly, graciously, and lovingly lay the gospel before your children. Call them to believe in it. All right, Jesus then ends this parable by saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is calling people to watch. This is the Advent call to prepare, to prepare for his arrival. A day is coming when Jesus will come to his church. He will make the final call of invitation to join him at his banquet table. If we are not looking forward to that, if we are not yearning for that day, if we are not expecting that to be far better than anything else that we can imagine, then we have missed Jesus today. We've misunderstood his promises We are underestimating his glory. We are minimizing his goodness. We have to see the connection here between Jesus saying in verse 12, I do not know you, and how the foolish women didn't actually know Jesus. Okay? When they're coming out, they're not doing everything that they can to prepare themselves. And in that, they're communicating that they don't really understand who the bridegroom is. They're not honoring him in the way that he should be honored. They're not revering him. They're not preparing themselves for the greatest individual this world has ever or will ever see. And so for us today, If we go through our days drowsy towards Jesus, that that he is kind of on the back burner, that that he's not something that is guiding us, leading us forefront in our mind. If the gospel is not captivating us, we are preparing ourselves for Jesus to say, I never knew you. And that, that is terrifying. That is terrifying. So the, the point here is not to scare you. The point is, if that's where we find ourselves, drowsy towards Jesus, sleepy towards the gospel, to realize, and I don't understand the gospel for what it is in the Bible, because the Bible communicates that the gospel is the best news the world will ever see. And so when we wake up in the morning, we need to reorient ourselves to that news. 
We need that news to be the news that de that's declared over and over again for us, that we need to ensure we're hearing that news because that's the most important news for us to pour into our hearts and for us to believe every day. Now, in this call to watch, I want us to be, be aware of this human tendency that all of us have, and that is to make this into a have to do, okay? It's very easy for us to read, watch, and then to think, I have to do this. Watching can easily have negative connotations for us, like watching for weeds in the garden or watching what I'm eat so I what I'm eating so I don't put bad things into my body. Advent inspired watching is hopeful. It's hopeful. It's not just to prevent negative consequences. It's yearning for Jesus because we understand he is what we long for that he offers us the best news we will ever hear, that only he can satisfy us. So if we know Jesus' love as he loves us, if we know his grace being kinder and more undeserved than any other actions others can, can extend towards us, it will move us to watch for Jesus longingly, hopefully, to, to yearn, for Jesus. So a couple points of gospel application for us this morning, just as a reminder, gospel application is not a have to do. This, this is not a, this is what you need to go and do. The point of our gospel application is, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is who Jesus is. So rest in him, rest in him, believe in him. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So gospel application, uh, first point for us, Jesus doesn't sleep on you. In the, in the way that we get drowsy towards the gospel, that we will go to sleep on Jesus, that is not how he acts towards us. And, and we should be reminded of this even right here. The fact that you are sitting here, you are hearing this warning slash word of encouragement, okay, is evidence of the fact that he is still extending grace to you. He wants something more for you. He wants something better for you. He's reminding you, I am not sleeping on you right now. I am loving you, pursuing you, wanting you to be reminded of the best news in the world. We read this uh, back in our uh, sermon series on Nahum, but Psalm 121.4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. When I read this uh, a number of weeks ago, I, I mentioned how Israel forsook uh, God's promises, okay? And now God's promises are extended not to the nation of Israel. They are extended to Jesus' church, Okay. And so when God makes his promises uh, that, that's going to affect every nation, tribe, and tongue, he's talking about his church, okay? And so when we read this in the Old Testament, when we read it through the lens of the New Testament and the gospel, we read that, behold, God, he, the one who keeps his church, will not slumber nor sleep. 
And this is a promise that we should go back to, that we should rest in. So in all of our preoccupation of our days, in all of our drowsiness, in all of our sleeping on Jesus, be reminded and let this be the motivator for how you live, the fact that he does not sleep on us. He is interested in you. He is caring for you. So Jesus does not sleep on you, okay? Secondly, there's a phrase in these verses when the bridegroom is coming out, okay? And the call goes out to these women and it says, come out to meet him. Come out to meet the bridegroom. When we read this and we think of Jesus returning to us, this is an invitation, okay? This is not intended to be a fearful call, but it will only be seen as an invitation if we are preparing for this, if we're yearning for this, if we see Jesus for who he really is. But I want us to hear this invite that Jesus extends to us. When we read this, we should hear, come to Jesus. So wherever you're at today, in your despair, in your joy, in your disinterest towards the gospel, in your weariness, come out to meet Jesus. Watching rightly leads us to anticipating meeting him, not being fearful or scared uh, or, or even hoping that he waits longer so that we can have time to do certain things here on earth. When we understand Jesus being this kind of a bridegroom, one who loves us perfectly, one who extends us grace when we don't deserve it, it will move us. It will change our hearts so that we will want to wait for him. We will yearn for his arrival and his promise to set things right. All the things that have been broken, that he will put those things back together. So know him as he is, know his promises, and entrust yourself to him.